Hello, I'm Alec Avdikov, and welcome to the life and times of Frederick the Great. I don't have very much to say in the intro, except to say that I hope you all had a great week, and to make sure to give me honest feedback and reviews from wherever you listen. I really want to hear for what you have to say about my podcast, plus it makes it easier for new listeners to find my podcast. For the next two episodes, I will be looking at the infantry of Frederick's army. As I was researching this, I realized that there are too many details to try to fit into one episode. The era we are looking at, 1740 through 1786, is one where war did not change much. It was a combination of the mercenary-style armies which were common in the Thirty Years' War and conscript armies that one would find in the French Revolutionary and Napoleonic Wars directly after Frederick the Great's time. I just believe that in order to fully understand the battles and the war that is taking place, one should understand what is taking place below Frederick. For instance, what are the Prussian infantry uniforms like? What were their tactics, and how were they organized and supplied? And of course, the most crucial question of all, how did they win battles? I do not claim to ever have all the answers. I am just a college student researching with the resources I have. I am not an army expert on gunpowder era warfare, but I am armed with resources that I believe are accurate, and I will do my best to present to you what I researched in a condensed fashion. However, I must continue the narrative from the last episode about 1741. So, in the last episode, I talked about how there were intense negotiations between the powers of Europe after Frederick's victory in the Battle of Molwitz. The sweetest fruit of this harvest reaped by Frederick's negotiation was the alliance between Prussia, France, Bavaria, and Saxony. However, Frederick's position in the occupied province of Silesia was still fairly weak. Therefore, Frederick put out peace feelers to see if he could gain a bit of a free hand in Silesia for the rest of the year. The deal would be that if Frederick allowed Field Marshal Neitberg's army to retreat from Silesia unhindered, the Austrians would give up the fortress of Nyset in two weeks. This negotiation was entirely in secret. Neither Frederick nor Neitberg wanted to look weak in this situation, and Frederick did not want to look like he was betraying his French ally. After all, if the Austrians were not funneling resources to fight against the Prussians, then the Austrians could turn some armies around and fight against the French and Bavarians. But the Bavarians and French did make some progress as the city of Linz in what is today Austria fell to the Allied army on September 14, 1741. But there was no momentum behind the advance, and it faltered after Linz. Frederick could see that there was little prospect of an Allied success in knocking the Habsburg out of the war. Instead, he took matters into his own hands with the deal I discussed. What then happens to the deal between Frederick and Neitberg? In the small village of Klein Schnellendorf on October 9, 1741, Field Marshal Neitberg and King Frederick II met to discuss terms. The meeting was set by an envoy from Britain, which was neutral at that point. So why would Frederick, a man deemed to be this warmonger, let the Austrians off like this? Well, Frederick's only aim in this war was to, say, was to take Silesia and have the world recognize that Silesia was his. That's all. 
He absolutely did not want to strengthen Bavaria or Saxony to contend with in the secondary German powers club. Frederick just wanted to knock Austria down a peg so that Prussia could rise. One of the major reasons Prussia had the ability to rise was because of Frederick's victory in the Battle of Molwitz, despite Frederick not being there to see it. But the main reason that Frederick could claim victory after that battle is because of the stiff discipline of that infantry. That, of course, is my transition to the meat of this episode. Today we are going to be talking about the Prussian infantry during Frederick the Great's time. There were many different types of infantry during this time period. However, the Prussian army's infantry could be broadly split, split into two parts. The native Prussian and non-native units within the Prussian army. Also, if anyone needs a proper definition of what infantry is, it is a branch of the army that is armed, trained, and equipped to fight on the ground. The infantry is not artillery or cavalry. Cavalry is soldiers that are trained to fight on horseback, and the artillery specializes in the use of cannons. There will be special episodes about each of these branches as we continue in this podcast. However, let's get back to the main subject of how to organize the Prussian infantry. As I said, the Prussian army was this weird combination of mercenary and native conscripted units. And by native, I simply mean that they were born in Prussia. We shall start with the native Prussian troops because the non-native part of the army will grow into its own later on down the road in a future war that is not the War of Austrian Succession. During this period of warfare, the main unit a commander would take care of is a regiment. If the regiments are doing well, then the overall army does well. If one regiment is less likely to break during the extreme chaos of battle, a commander may hold on to this regiment in reserve until the culmination point of a battle when a breakthrough may occur in the enemy's lines. If a regiment is of lower quality, then a commander may just throw in those troops to be cannon fodder to soften the enemy up. The commander may also make sure that those regiments of poor quality are as far away from the battle as they can get. The regiment during the time of Frederick the Great is like what a division or a brigade is in modern combat. It is the main tactical unit that is being used. According to Christopher Duffy's book on the army of Frederick the Great, Frederick was fairly arbitrary when it came to what regiments he favored. Sometimes it depended on where they were from, as Frederick, like his father, loved the soldiers that were raised from the province of Pomerania. A regiment could gain Frederick's favor if they were well-dressed, marched well as a unit, and performed well in battle. If the regiment was out of Frederick's favor, the regiment was in a heap of trouble. In some cases, the entire regiment was not considered to be part of the army, and would be stricken from the list of regiments. In other cases, regiments that Frederick was enraged by would be equipped with cloth buttons. The most common type of infantry regiment was the musketeer regiment. On paper, a musketeer regiment contained 1,700 people. These included 50 officers, 160 non-commissioned officers, also known as NCOs, 40 musicians, yes, there was a band in each regiment, roughly 12 medical orderlies, and members of what was called in German the Unterstab. The Unterstab included the treasurer, clerks, alimoner, auditor, and provost. The rest were all fighting ranks of the infantry. 
In total, there were roughly 1,430 average fighting men. Our regiment was split into two battalions that split up the men evenly. There were two types of battalions, administrative and tactical battalions. Administrative battalions would have six companies in total. There were five musketeer companies and one grenadier company. The overall command of a company would be led by a captain, a first lieutenant, a second lieutenant, an ensign, and 16 non-commissioned officers. The company would consist of 114 people throughout the War of Austrian Succession. The tactical organization of a musketeer battalion consisted of five musketeer companies, and those companies were made up of eight platoons of musketeers per battalion. The overall basic tactical unit of the Prussian army during this time was the platoon. The platoon was in a rectangular formation with a total of 72 fighting men and three ranks of 24. The men are then essentially surrounded by officers. The men should fear their officers more than the enemy because during this time in warfare, the majority of casualties took place after the battle when the cavalry began killing the men who ran from the battle. One type of infantry that was less likely to break during the extreme chaos of battle during the 1700s was the Grenadiers. When someone thinks of the Grenadiers, one thinks that they should be the ones who carried the grenades. However, grenades at this time are very heavy and had to be lit by a fuse that had poor timing. Therefore, a grenadier with a grenade had to be extremely brave, aggressive, and physically strong in order to get close enough to use the grenade against the enemy. However, units that carried grenades were phased out, but the name stuck. Eventually, the name grenadier became known as elite infantry. There was a grenadier regiment that I talked about earlier in the series that was known as the Potsdam Giants. Those were the really tall guys that were either recruited or kidnapped throughout Europe during Frederick Wilhelm's reign. However, during Frederick's reign, most of this regiment was disbanded, with the regiment only being entirely dissolved after Napoleon defeated Prussia in 1806. According to Christopher Duffy's book on the army of Frederick the Great, he writes, quote, The individual grenadiers were selected not on account of their size, in fact, they tended to be on the small side, but because they were reliable and robust men of mature years and good marches. The book then goes on to quote some attributes of good grenadiers, including being utterly masculine, having a, quote, vigorous mustache, and he must not appear too amiable or allow himself to laugh too easily. Yes. People were recruited on whether they had a sense of humor or not. That's military life in the 1700s for you. The Grenadiers were often in the fiercest of fighting during battle. Frederick used Grenadier units the most aggressively due to them being so strong and resolute during battle. However, casualty numbers ended up being higher in Grenadier units because of this. But there was an, a unit of elite infantry that was used almost entirely on the parade ground rather than on the battlefield. The Lifeguard of Foot or Leibgarde zu Fuss in German was that unit. This was the first battalion and had the most prestigious unit in the Prussian army. 
It was recruited based on how well the soldiers could march on the parade ground. A contemporary viewed the 1st Battalion and remarked, quote, The slow, serious measure of their advance was almost unbroken by drumbeat or music. The occasion was profoundly moving. Far distant from theatrical presentation, it held a dignity all of its own, which overcame every other sentiment through sheer impressiveness of the spectacle. Another aspect of the guardsmen was that they were often hated by the ordinary soldiers garrisoned in Potsdam. The guards had fairly light duties compared to the rest of the army. One type of infantry that did not have near the type of fanfare of the guard was the fusiliers. Though the regiments were often raised from conquered territories, and according to Frederick, did not have the same fighting power or loyalty as the native-born Prussians. The Fusiliers were lighter infantry and did not carry the staggering amount of equipment the ordinary soldier carried. They also tended to be shorter than the average Prussian and received shorter muskets. One interesting aspect of the Fusiliers is that they had the same type of hat, the Grenadiers, as possibly a way to confuse the enemy. After all, the Fusiliers were often a formation that formed in the second line of battle. If the enemy saw that from a distance, it would look as if the entire back line were elite infantry. Another type of so-called second-rate soldier was the garrison troops. The garrison troops were used to hold fortresses behind the front lines and keep order in areas that were recently conquered. The soldiers in the garrison battalions were considered to be the, quote, refuse of the army, and they serve unwillingly. The final type of infantry unit I will discuss for today will be the, ga will be the guides that were used to scout the terrain in order to see where the rest of the army should march. The job of the guides in the War of Austrian Succession was to make sure that the army did not fall into an enemy ambush. These troops wore green uniforms in order to better camouflage their movements. The guides would later be named the Feldjäger zu Fuss, but they still had the same job of scouting. They used more accurate rifles, which had a higher caliber bullet, but reloaded slower than an ordinary musket. These units were more likely to be used independently from the army, and were highly loyal and less likely to desert the army than a regular musketeer. There is a unit of infantry that I have not discussed in this episode, but will receive its own episode when a different war breaks out in which Frederick famously uses these units. In short, free battalions will not be discussed in this episode. An important component of any army is how the soldiers are dressed. So in this section of the episode, we will be discussing what infantry uniforms were like for the Prussian army. Let us discuss what the soldiers were wearing from head to toe. There were two main types of hats in Frederick's army. The three-cornered hats the time period is famous for, and the mitre cap of the grenadiers that was about a foot high and had a brass plate in the front. The main problem with the three-cornered hat is that in high winds, the hats could blow off, while the grenadiers would have to jerk their heads back to prevent their hats falling forward because the brass, the brass plate made the hat fall forward. Below the hat was the hair, 
Yes, the 1700s Prussian military had a uniform haircut too. The soldiers in Frederick's army had their hair hung down in a long braided ponytail that reached the hem or the bottom of the jacket. If a man could not grow hair that long, the soldier would put on a fake ponytail. The hair was powdered white. The color of the jacket the Prussian infantry wore was the famous Prussian blue. This is a slightly lighter shade of blue than navy blue. The jacket was cut fairly skimpy for the age, and the jacket, it, quote, extended only as far as the middle fingers of an arm held vertically down the side of the leg. This is because Frederick didn't want to spend too much money on blue fabric. The jacket had coarse and thin fabric and was only built to last two years maximum. Under the blue coats, the soldier wore a waistcoat that was either white or yellow. The breeches, what we would think of pants as today, were the same color as the waistcoat and were made of coarse wool. Overall, this uniform doesn't sound too comfortable. Anyway, below the breeches were the gaiters that covered the knee down to the ankle. The gaiters were originally white and made of either ticking for ordinary service, which is a type of cloth that is made of tightly woven cotton, or linen for parade marches. However, the army would be outfitted with black gaiters in 1744. The shoes for the Prussian army were made of black leather and had a square toe and high heels. The shoes and gaiters were meant to hide the stinky and sweaty mess that was the stockings below. Some soldiers were recorded to have cut the bottom of the stockings off and wrapped, a foot, wrapped the foot with a cloth that was soaked in tallow. Tallow is a beef fat, so you can imagine how absolutely horrible the army must have smelled as they marched along. And with that horrible image in your head, I believe I shall have to leave you there. With the deal at Klein Schnellendorf proceeding off without a hitch, the different types of infantry units such as the musketeers and grenadiers, and of course, the uncomfortable sounding uniform that every Prussian wore. To conclude today's episode, I believe I will say to you all, Remember to change your socks. You don't want to smell like Frederick's arm.